Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, everybody. This is Chris. A little bit of housekeeping before we begin. Because of coronavirus and lockdown, we wanted to just bring the release date of this series forward. And so here we are releasing as many episodes as possible as soon as possible. Um, This episode you're about to hear was recorded just before we went into lockdown. And because of coronavirus, instead of releasing two episodes a week, one main episode and one Homo sapiens extra where we read your emails, we will be doing just one episode per week. The main episode and then the following week we'll have a Homo sapiens extra where because of lockdown we'll be catching up over Skype to read your emails and we'll be dishing out t-shirts just like normal but also hearing from you guys about how you're coping in lockdown. Homo sapiens first and foremost is a community and we want to hear from you about how you're getting on. We're also going to be doing Instagram lives every Sunday sharing ideas, recipes, what we're watching, what we're listening to, anything that feels like it helps with trying to keep us all busy during this lockdown. Thank you so much for listening and I'll shut up now. I'll go and empty the dishwasher actually. And here is season four of Homo Sapiens. Oh goodness, dearest listeners. Hello and welcome to season four of Homo Sapiens. Now normally you would expect to hear the dulcet tones of my compadre William Robert Young. But since he's off being a pop star... We are fever pitch excited to welcome to the Homo sapiens family none other than Alan Cumming. Yes, it's great to be here. I'm very excited to be um, your co-host, Chris. We are absolutely thrilled to have you. Have you been taken through the um, Homo sapiens induction process? Have you had a pamphlet or anything? I've had a few nights out with you, so I think that counts. Now, there's a story or three. <laughs> <laughs> What's quite funny, actually, is that we, because you and I spoke, do you remember saying, oh, maybe we'll do a series of the podcast together? Yes. And we both said, well, what will we do as our theme? Because we always love to do a theme. Yes. And we both had been had the thinking. same thing. Yes, I had been wanting to interview these people and sort of iconic people, people that I think are iconic. Yeah, so we said we'd do LGBTQ plus icons, mm-hmm. queer icons, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. So that is the theme of this series. Yes, um, and some ma- amazing people. We've sat down in various rooms and kitchens and things around the globe, well, yeah. in London and New York. That's around the globe. Let's call it globe. Yeah. I mean, our tour of. <clears throat> when we did a tour of the USA, I think we went to like two places. Um, <laughs> we've got Stephen Fry for our first uh, interview of the series, which was... Very exciting. Really exciting. Such a darling man. And it was so, such a beautiful chat. Someone said a funny thing the other day about David Attenborough. Yes. About saying that now, wherever he goes, there's a standing ovation. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Whatever you see him on television, standing ovation. And I feel like Stephen... Tesco's. Yeah, Tesco's standing ovation. And I feel like Stephen is always that kind of person. Oh, he totally is. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. And we've got... Who else have we got coming up this series? Patty Smith. Oh, my God. Patty Let's say Hannah Gadsby. Let's say Cynthia Nixon. Let's say Cynthia Nixon. Let's say Jason Sellers of the... Jake Shears of the Sister Sisters. Yes, let's say... Uh, toast of Broadway, Jeremy O'Harris. Jeremy O'Harris, writer of Slave Play and Daddy, which I was in. Yes. Justin Vivian Bond. 
Justin Vivian Bond, who was one of my favourite interviews. She's just a doll. I mean, what an incredible person and hilarious. And Murray Hill, who another is... <clears throat> down New York downtown legend. Yeah, who fascinating. Murray Hill is a drag king, right? Correct. Yeah, um, and has such a brilliant, brilliantly unique perspective on New York. Kind of twenty years ago, when it was yes. sort of all just not just getting going, but yeah. it was an amazing time. All these people are have a Google of them, but obviously you can also listen to the interviews. But they are all. I think what's lovely about this series is they are all icons in their own individual way. Absolutely, yeah. People who have done incredible things that are and have altered people's lives in a really positive way. Yeah, and continue to as well, just by being themselves. Cynthia. I think that's really what an icon is. That you do without you don't have to do things. You just being yourself. You 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 yes. change things. That is so true. The definition. I I agree. The definition of an icon is almost someone who's just done their own thing. Yeah. And not really thought about it too much. <laughs> We're recording here in Alan's dressing room. I'm sitting on a small camp bed. How appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say the other day about Billy Porter? You said that really funny thing. On oh, I said, well, I saw Billy Porter the other day at the Tommy Hilfiger fashion show and I've known Billy for centuries. And I, when I was, I was, it was like somebody else's photo and I was, you know, in your thing, you edit it. Yeah. And I went to crop the photo and it said, straighten, question mark. I was like, oh, that ship sailed. <laughs> <laughs> why, I won't dwell on this long, but why is the camp bed so small? Because it's very short. Um, well, I suppose it's just sort of budget. camp beds it's are budget. like budgets. It's, <laughs> it's, it's budget. Subsidised theatre, darling. Subsidised, not for profit. <laughs> As I can tell you by my wages. But do you have naps on it? Do you mind me being... I totally have naps. Yeah, I have naps every day. I come in for like even just a 15-minute little nap. A lot of naps on it, oh, constantly. The 15-minute nap is so underrated, by the way. Uh, totally. I'm yeah. all for it. Yeah. I nap whatever I can. I might have a nap during this. If you don't <laughs> things just, get a bit dull. <laughs> I've just had a nap. Now, Alan, do you feel like doing some agony uncling? Yes. What we thought we'd do this season is answer some agony uncle questions we love our community of, of listeners talking yes. to each other and they often write in and ask us questions and, and we've made a lot of mistakes in our lives and we could learn from them oh, it's <laughs> the whole thing's been a clusterfuck <laughs> if i'm honest but i'm hoping to impart some wisdom <laughs> everybody's been writing in yes listeners thank you so much for writing in um we hope to be of some service with, <laughs> with our, i with think our we were both mature experienced men in life and love I couldn't agree more. So um, I'm going to call this person. Jay has written to us and said, sex with my older husband has become boring and I haven't got the heart to tell him. Is Jay a, a, a female or a male? Uh, good point. Jay is a male. And so Jay says sex with his older husband is boring. Has become boring. Has yeah. become boring and he hasn't got the heart to tell him. Yeah. Well, I think you've got to tell him, Jay. Yeah. I think you've got to. You've got to be frank about sex. And if obviously if it's boring, he probably has noticed as well. Well, this is it, isn't it? Because you said this thing to me, which I love, where you said, um, don't be coy about what you want. Absolutely. And um, I think it's so complex, this stuff, because I think sometimes it can be attached to you feel like if you raise it and you can't solve it, then your relationship is doomed. Mm. And actually, I think... When I felt like that in my relationship, plural, uh, when you raise it, actually, you always end up becoming stronger if you're right for each other. Don't right. You, don't yes, you think? Totally. And also, I think 
sex is one of those things it ebbs and flows as the years go by. And also, I have to say, within a same-sex relationship as Jay is in, it is much more um, likely that they can find other ways to pip things up. A, you've got to be frank. You've got sex should be very frank, and and you should tell each other what you want, and you should. And also, sex changes. Sex, your desire and your um, needs change. Mm. So I think it's time for Jay to have a frank discussion yeah. about what he actually wants. And if it's, I'm going to say impenetrable, but that's the wrong word to use. But if it's, if it, if it isn't, if it's that, if that's not possible, I, I would suggest your needs need to be met. <laughs> well, this is it, isn't it? With but, kindness. But yeah, I think you need to have a conversation about it. And how does one ever have a conversation about something tricky? I think but maybe it won't be tricky. But but even broaching the conversation, I think, can be tricky. That's what, if it, you know, because not yeah. everybody is as wonderfully direct as you are, which you're brilliant at. But a lot of people really true, struggle with that. Yes, you know, and I think it's the case of you got to sit them down and say, "Look, I want to talk to you about something," and or maybe you can even warn someone and say, "Can we talk about something quite important?" tomorrow you know what i mean so you're not springing it on them i think that's a terrible idea i, I really think that's okay. terrible when you go let's talk about something really important in 24 hours time what's the person going to do this anyway, what do you want for dinner yes it's like when they see on those american news programs coming up at 11 o'clock is the thing inside your fridge slowly killing you oh i love find that. out at 11 and yeah. you know i think no i think so, you shouldn't say that okay, i think fine. you should say hey let's have a chat yeah i'm bored with our sex life i'm a little bored We've lost our luster. Mm. How do you feel? Yeah. This is what, and I have, and also the other things, have something up your sleeve about what you think you'd like to try. Yes. Maybe it's going to the sex shop together and buying some toys or going online and doing so. Yeah. Maybe it's bringing someone in to pep it up once in a while together. Yeah. You know, there's all the, lots of different things available to us. It's all available. Okay, good. Thank you. Hope maybe, we've maybe just going on a holiday and having a romantic weekend away and banging each other's brains out. All of these are options. Okay, well, that's good. Um, Jay, we hope we've helped. <laughs> yes, hope so. Let us know. Um, <laughs> please do let us know. So S says, would you get back with an ex when he treated you like shit, but then apologise for it? Hot topic. Well, I think it means, I think you need to know the, the degree of shit, don't you? Listen, I think that there are, uh, it's a bit, for me, it's always a bit two strikes and you're out. I think someone can fuck up. Um, but if you're in a pattern of it, mm. it's not going to change. Totally. And I th- and I also, like me personally, I have a really low tolerance for that. If people dick me around, it's bye-byes. I think, yeah, you've got to assess whether it was, you know, it was a mistake. or it, Because people can fuck up and we've all made Oh my God, mistakes. yes. We've all made mistakes. I think, I think the thing is that, you know, like everything in life, you need to know your your boundaries. Mm-hmm. I need to know what you, how much you're prepared to countenance and um, and accept and um, allow. And yeah. I think that um, we're not quite sure what this shittiness is, but I just think that's the most important thing. Like, mm. you know, the, a line has to be drawn with everything. The one thing we, I think it's quite easy to forget, particularly when you're in the throes of romance, is the person you're with needs to make you feel good. And yeah. you can forget that and it can all get, a, you can get a bit lost in the heady drama of it all. Yeah. And it's not good for you. But as someone who has suffered abuse uh, on a, a sort of uh, in a relationship, I yeah. feel that be very vigilant, mm-hmm. be very wary. Because the first time something happens, it's like, wow, that was crazy. And mm-hmm. they apologize. And like, oh gosh, that was terrible. What a weird thing to, you know, I was drunk, I was, oh, whatever. Mm. Don't know what came over me. I was jealous. I was a, 
if you don't like nip it in the bud, yeah. Then the second time it happens and you allow it, then the the abuser is like, well, what do you mean? I did that last week. You didn't seem to mind. If, if it goes longer than that, then it's a mm-hmm. pattern, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you kind of have a, you've kind of allowed it as well. You've kind of validated it by your silence. Yeah. So I think I think I, we're not quite clear what this shittiness is, but apologizing for something isn't enough always because sometimes whatever the thing they're apologizing for can step over a line of decency and um, just your own personal guidelines. Yeah. I think just be very strong and be very vigilant about what is going on. And was that abuse physical or mental? Mental. And very mental. Yeah. Which is even and harder manipulative to and weird. Yeah. Yeah. And, and cra- like, a, like crazy, really just out of control. Really? But of course when you're in love and you're, you know, and your life is a bit nuts anyway. And there are nutty situations that you find yourself in. Mm. Um, and it's someone's new. Then it's easy to let something go. Kind of think, yeah. oh, well, you know. Also, maybe it's not the best, whatever, the best situation to sort of have a, mm. a major sit down and say, oh, that was weird. Yeah, I feel like we've been told that we have to say uh, we're not actually professionals. And if you need some help, you should seek some from a professional. But, you know, we're, we, we're here. We aim to please. Yeah. I mean, I think that's we're not professionals, but also we've been on a lot of dates. <laughs> I've kissed a lot of frogs, I tell you. Me too. I really have. Um, I think that concludes our first Agony Uncle section, which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it a roaring success. <laughs> I thought it was great. Stephen Fry, legend. Legend. Living legend. Living legend. And uh, just a gorgeous, gorgeous man. What a darling man. And I was thinking about him earlier, and I was thinking how he was, he's been the first person to speak publicly about so many important things you know yes don't you feel that mental health oh. he he was at the forefront of totally you know and and, and twitter twitter he made, he basically well he, he talks about it in the, in the interview but he yeah he kind of put twitter on the map in in, in britain at yeah, least he, he did didn't he yeah. and also lgbt rights mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. he's been at the forefront of and he's Incredibly candid, isn't he? Which I love about him. I mean, he's. I think that's why people love him so much. He's he's prepared to be vulnerable. Yeah, and that's very endearing, and it's very uh, validating for everyone else. You know, when yeah. when someone who's so got so much going on is mm. also saying, I, "I I fall apart sometimes too." Yeah, I think he's just great. Um, but he's. It's also I think it was really interesting. There was a spell when. <clears throat> Stephen became like the Queen Mother. He was sort of, they had like nights for him on BBC Two or something. Yes. You know what I mean? And I thought it was, it was interesting that like, being com- coming back and forward to this country. Like I sort of came back one time and he, there'd been a huge jump in this sort of Stephen Fry adoration. Right. Yes. And I think I, I sort of sense he's kind of stepped back from that. He's kind of I agree, yeah. pushed that a little, not pushed it, but sort of that's Lala shaking her collar in case you think we're, a milkman or something. <laughs> um, I think that's interesting. He's even handled mm. that well, kind mm. of accepted the adoration and then kind of gone, yeah, you know, yes. uh, I'm not going to be in that position forever. He always forges his own path. And it's also like... Forges his own checks as well, we heard about. Or <laughs> <laughs> credit cards. What, a, what an intro, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and now... And now... Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry. Certainly, I, I always... Uh, hated what was called the scene in, in when I arrived in London. I arrived in London at a bad time for any gay person to arrive. In 1981, Ooh, it was yes. exactly the same time as the HIV virus, not that we knew there was a virus involved in those early days. And I remember hearing about GRID, 
gay, oh, right, gay yes. related immune deficiency yes. and uh, the bathhouse flu and all kinds of other strange ways and mm. um, but anyway I hated I, I mean I'd been from university I'd go with my friend and lover indeed at the time at the university we, we'd go to uh, to heaven and to various clubs and things and uh, a rather sort of sweet uh, gay bar in uh, Chelsea and uh, Queen's Arms, appropriately, Queen's Head. Uh, and I didn't mind the little pub because it was full of cosy old people who sat and chatted. And, and But heaven and things. This, this, there was a movie called Nighthawks, actually, which was kind of about that, that the look that you get, that mm. up and down, sweeping eyes as you walk into a club. And, and in my case, the look up and down, <laughs> the quick turn away. And this idea of, oh... I'm such an undesirable person. I'm so, I'm as far from cute as it is as it is possible to be. Not that I particularly wanted to be, but it was just, also I don't like, I just don't like dance places. I, I just yeah. like talking, you know, or, or listening. I think that time, that, that time of growing, becoming yeah. sexually aware, or sexually yeah. uh, active in the time of AIDS is something that's affected so many of us. I mean, I think it's really, you know, there was death yeah. was all around Absolutely. you. And also, like, to get so many people who just kind of got over the feelings of shame or exactly. lack of self-worth yeah. and now face it, oh, fuck, if I do this thing that I now realise I am and I'm, I've made peace with, I'm going to get... Yeah, when something when when contracting a disease is is a hundred percent a death sentence, mm. even if it's only a point naught one percent chance of getting it, the the downside is so enormous that as a bet, if you're a poker player, you say I'm not going to bet on that because yeah, yeah. even though it's yeah. a it's it's a low odds of getting it, the odds of dying if you get it up. You know, yeah, was there was it like a context thing of like I felt when I arrived on the gay scene, I would go to the Shadow Lounge on Brewer Street. That's where I used to go when I was nineteen with my friend Andy. Mm. But you arrive in that and you're immediately supposed to know everything you're supposed to do. Yes. You know, you're like I mustn't reveal that I this is one my first time. Mm. I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to do. Yeah. No one's told me even about gay sex. You know, yes. you've never even had an education. So I feel like that creates quite a funny, weird atmosphere. Where a no, lot of gay people put on a front. <clears> they, yeah. They've needed to, of And course. everybody's yeah. feeling it, but That's no one says it. But inside, it. we're all yeah. shriveled, sad, we're hopeful, so loving then, people. Yeah. And, did, and Stephen, did you have... So you did have a partner to it at that time, or did you... I had the same one from Cambridge, and then we sort of drifted apart, because I just... I became... Uh, I wouldn't say famous is likely ever doing it, but but if people knew me in through the early part of the 80s, one of the things they knew about me was that I was a so-called celibate, which wasn't really true. <laughs> well, it was, but not in the in any dedicated sense. I um, Jonathan Meads, who was a writer, he was a very fine writer, but at the <clears> time was an associate editor or something of the Tatler. I'm embarrassed to admit that. I'm... Anyway, he called me up and said, I'm. Uh, commissioning people to do a series of articles about things they don't do. So Gavin Stamp is doing something about how he never goes on holiday or so-and-so is writing something about how he doesn't drive. And is there anything you don't do? And I said, no, I do everything. I'm sort of proud of it. I said, oh, well, I don't really do sex very much. I don't really do it at all at the moment. And he said, oh, I didn't write that. <laughs> so, so I wrote this kind of screed against sex. I remember doing this thing about how... Um, how extraordinarily cruel it was of nature or God and or God to to make the areas of investigation and excitement in, in the human body sexually the same as those that are the, the excreting areas. It's, it's, uh, it's like a Gestapo officer torturing a British person saying, there's your lunch, and then throwing it into a cesspit. And you go, well, you know, and I said, well, everything is in these damp, tufted areas. I remember the phrase I used. And, uh, and so it caused quite a stir. 
as an article. So so I got associated with and indeed I was so busy. I was writing and doing so much stuff. I was so excited to be in the world I was in of writing and performing and comedy and other such things that um that I never really stopped to to, to have a partner at all. Not for ages and ages. And it wasn't until I had the Awful experience in the 90s, in the mid-90s, um, a quarter of a century ago now, when I was in a play and I walked out. And, oh, uh, you were yeah. And this is when I had to start examining my mind and what was going on with me and why it was going wrong and why I was unhappy when I was at the top of my um, kind of game that I had set myself. I had, I had achieved things that I never dreamed I would or met people and done things. That everything should have been wonderful. Mm. Every light was green and yet I was in a state of terrible misery and distress. And so, and then weirdly, it was a, almost exactly the time I was cast in the film to play Oscar Wilde um, that, that, that I met a, a, my first boyfriend really since, uh, since the one the one at Cambridge. So um, you need to hand back your and then, card. Yeah. And what, but do you make, are you making a connection between that sort of breakdown after that play and and, and I think so. I think I realised that one of the things that I was unhappy about was that I was lonely. Right. Mm. You know, I really was. And why do you think it went, why do you think you let it go so long? A lot of it was fear of, uh, you know, I've heard on this podcast and things, you know, the question about, uh, you know, why, what, what is it the homophobic people, and why did, gay people self-oppress so much and so mm -hmm. and all these questions we ask and the, the, the thing I've thought for a long time is is that sex is funny and weird and frightening <laughs> and strange and delightful and, uh, but it has nothing like the power and importance of love and love is much more frightening and I'm sure that what homophobes really can't bear is the idea that two men will love each other yeah. and two women yeah. And a lot of people, straight people I know, whose marriages fall apart, there's a sort of resentment they have to gay people because they followed the rules. They went down the path that you're supposed to go down. They, 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 they had a house and a family and children, and it, it, it was difficult. Mm -hmm. And they have now gay friends who've been together for twice as long as their marriage lasted. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think it's because gay people have allowed themselves to love each, to, to realise that it's about love. Yeah, well, yes, of course, there's you know, all the dirtiest aspects of grinder and things and people having a good, good evening or a good weekend or a, you know, a chemsex weekend in Dalston that makes your eyes water. But, but, but generally speaking, there is also an acceptance now amongst gay people that it's not just about sex, you know? Yeah. And I, I remember saying this in, um, when, when I was asked to talk bizarrely in Parliament, not in Commons obviously, but in St Stephen's Hall or um, when there was a, one of these uh, equalising the age of consent oh, yeah. debates. It was yeah. Edwina Curry, bless her, who was actually who made it a private member's bill. She, she was banging away with John Major she, all that time. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, so but, hilarious but she, was, she was our friend too. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> but um, I, yeah, one of the MPs said, but it's what you do and uh, I said, I said yeah, well, you can talk about anal sex, but if you want to talk about anal sex, well, I'm the first to admit that 95, at least, percent of the population are mostly heterosexual, uh, which is a vast number of people. And if you type the word anal into a search oh bar, a, anal wives comes up a long way before oh. anal boys of any kind or anal men of yes. any kind. You know, so if, if, if your real objection is to sodomy, as you keep 
pretending, then you must attend to the, the where it happens most, which yes. is in your uh, yeah. honesty. What you're scared <laughs> of is <laughs> exactly what <laughs> you're scared of is love. Head to Putney. Do you know that uh, show in America, or or is it? Yeah, it was called Mr. and Mrs. Here, but they call it something else in America. And there's a famous one of these old short and clips of like you know funny moments of television, and it's like the lady's inside a little cabinet with headphones on, and the man's answering the yes. questions. You know. And it goes, uh, it goes uh, no, maybe the other way around. And she's answering the questions. And, and, and the announcer goes, uh, where is the strangest place you've had sex? And she goes, up the ass. <laughs> 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 yes, do, yes. Do you know the story of the girl who, who, who wants to marry a sailor? And her father says, I, I, don't, mind, I, don't, I don't mind you marrying Jack. He's a, he's a good lad. He's a good lad, but he's a sailor. Uh, and the chances are, when you get married, one day he's going to suggest doing it the other way. I'm not having that done to my girl. So all I'm saying is, yes, you can marry him, but if ever he suggests doing it the other way, you come to me, all right? And she goes, OK, Dad. So they get married and it's all going fine. And after a couple of years, she thinks, Jack's never suggested doing it the other way. And I promised Dad that I'd tell him if he did, but I never said anything about my suggesting it. I'm really intrigued. So she says to her husband, Jack, why don't we try it the other way? And he says, what, fill the house with kids? You must be joking. <laughs> One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. <laughs> you know, it's interesting what you're saying about people who are f- afraid or, of the idea of men loving each other, because it reminded me of Gore Vidal, because he, you know, he, he had this sort of air of being so open about his sexuality and everything like that, but he couldn't, I was with him one time and, he, and he's saying, I've never loved, I've never loved, and he's sitting next to this man who's been his partner How for the most gorgeous man you would ever meet in your life, length. wasn't he? And yeah. Gore, and that was that self-hatred. Yeah. And he kind of clouded it in that. How could I possibly be homophobic or self-hating when I'm always open about my... Mm. I shagged everybody. Actually, he could never say he loved a man. Yes, he was. Really, and he was, that's what I think is yeah. so sad. Yeah. I wrote a thing about it, actually. I thought it was so sad that he basically lived his whole life pretending he couldn't love because he was too ashamed of the fact that he could love another man. He even, he even used to say things like, of course, uh, it's never an issue of AIDS because uh, the... Uh, Oh. The batter can't get it, only the catcher. That's using right. a baseball term. Right. Yeah, this idea that, you know, of what we might call a top or a bottom now, that yeah. a top could never contract it. And, just uh, rubbish. You know, and also he was very, very keen that everyone should know that he was he a was top, a that he would yeah. never, you know, I mean, like the like those sort of weirdest ma- machismo kind of... Yeah, thing. I think a lot of LGBT people are not really taught that sex 
I'm everybody. It's not really taught that sex is really messy and dirty and smelly, you know, <laughs> and you feel like you're not, yes. I, you know, you're not allowed to do it like that. Hence and all these bleached anuses and, well, exactly. and, 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 yeah. and you we, know, yeah. We need to remember that. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, it's, I think it's yes. like most kids now, like the whole thing about porn being the way that people learn about yeah. uh, video, porn videos yes. as well on, you know, on um, online. Mm. Is that how young people learn sex so that you get I mean, I've talked to people who've had sex with, you know, young people, and they're kind of like, you think, no, you don't have to, you don't have to do that. We don't do, mm. and we don't spend the requisites. Starts with six the minutes job, with the blowjob. Then, the job, then yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And the was noises kind of, and everything yeah. as well, and that kind of, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. fuck yeah, fuck yeah, you fuck that dick. That, to yeah. me, is so, like, when anyone ever <laughs> says that, I'm like, oh, shut up. Because you're suddenly, it's become performative. And yeah. it's not about two people connecting, you know? And... Because you did a thing, when you did that documentary about where you're talking to people homophobic, oh, yes. and you did this, you said this brilliant thing that has stayed with me forever, where someone was talking to you about sodomy, and you said, can I just share with you that a load of gay people do not have full anal sex? So I yes. don't know what the fuck you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, and to, I had never heard anyone say that, yeah. ever. Yeah. Because not you the be all end all, No, and yeah. you're not, but you, because this, it's back to that idea of like, as soon as you become gay, you're supposed to know everything. Yeah. There yeah. is no one pulls you aside and says, by the way, you don't have to have anal sex if you don't want to. <laughs> Do you want to be a top or a bottom? You know, all you think is like, fuck, I'd better be a top, because otherwise that means I'm properly gay, you know? Yes. It, it's so yes. ridiculous. Am I versatile, or am I vanilla, or am I an otter, or a, you know, these extraordinary... I'm having those then. funny conversations in my 20s with my friends being like, yeah, basically, I'm a bottom, sorry, yeah, like, sorry. You so, know. Uh, no, oh, it's really embarrassing. I thought at least I'd be a top. It's so weird, isn't it? It is weird. It's so, it's so interesting as well, because um, I used to know this guy who was a porn star, and he said that tops get paid more and that what had happened in 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 um in your career is you kind of get you know a bit more being around the block and you get the, then you gradually you know you get less money and then you become a bottom oh, really? and there's a kind of a gradation i mean that, unless you're like a young perky thing but for him and his thing yes. but i when i was having sex with him i realized it was like i was i was loving that i it was more sexy the idea of it than the actual mm. thing yeah, and i thought that oh this is yes. not very nice and so that's what i think there's young people are learning now more. It's more. certainly true. When I was a boy, just simply seeing a naked male in a, in a National Geographic magazine, because it was, you know, some anthropological shoot or something, I mean, pathetic. It was the only chance one would ever have yeah. to see a naked... Or there was a magazine called Health and Efficiency. Do you remember that? No. It was for naturists, who, right. you know, nudists, and, and uh, you could buy it in, you know, in the Norwich magazine stores, and I would go up and say, I'm an HD, please, when I was 12 really? or something, because you could see naked people in it. <laughs> it was, that was, I mean, they're not in any state of excitement. My sexual awakening was the Littlewoods catalogue, because they used to do the male underwear. Yes, yeah. of course. And then Fruit of the Loom. My dad ended up. He was a photographer and he ended up doing like underwear so, for uh, Littlewood's catalogue, Freeman's catalogue. No. But he would do all the lingerie. Um, so he did a bit of the men's stuff, but which I would obviously seek out in his study. But he would do the women's stuff and everyone would be like, oh, God, it must be amazing your dad taking pictures of naked women. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. cool. It's great, yeah. <laughs> Speaking as a top. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I want to, I'm intrigued about going back to you. I'm loving this sort of journey through you kind of feeling self-conscious about yourself. And mm. surely there are places you could 
Well, you can go to that little pub or you can go to yeah. this place. You just didn't feel comfortable in that environment where, where it was sort of so body conscious. Yeah, or was exactly. it more about... It, it's about body consciousness and about people getting laid. People, oh. people you know, hooking up and, and, and going home and all that. And I was terrified of that. I mean, it, it scared me. I mean, I'd had the odd encounter when I was young, you know, as a teenager and so on. The usual places, and and uh, those were really scary. And I thought I could be found out at any moment. But what there wasn't was the internet or anything like that. Um, but I, because of my passion for reading, and partly I think growing up in the middle of the Norfolk countryside, and my parents having a tiny television that was mostly kept, you know, in a corner and only really turned on for, you know, the royal wedding or the moon landing or the funeral of Churchill or whatever it might be so it was books 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 and there I you know I discovered Oscar Wilde when I was pretty young and loved his language so much that I got a biography and then was stunned to discover to feel this chime in my head when I read about what happened to him that that's me so I started to discover this whole world of writers and artists who had been that way or as W.H. Auden would put so I don't know whether the, that's why Graham called his company so at one point. Oh, Do you remember his television? I think it's yeah. called So Silly. So, Maybe yeah. it is. Uh, or Musical is another one. Um, <laughs> so I read about all these writers, including Noel Cowd. There was a Noel Cowd story which I have to share with you because I just love it. Um, Kenneth Moore, not an actor much remembered these days, but a stores of the uh, British cinema in the 40s, mm -hmm. 50s and 60s. Uh, best remembered for playing Douglas Bader, perhaps, and for oh, yes. Genevieve and movies like that. Um, he was a you know, pipe-smoking, tweedy sort of chap. Yeah. But when he was a very young actor, he was introduced to Noel Coward, who was, of course, the master in the, in the absolutely ran British theatre. And, and Coward liked what he saw and said, tell me, um, Kenneth, isn't it? And he said, Deputy Gesper, to go, tell me, Kenneth, do you take it up the arse? <laughs> and he said, um, well, well, no, I see Mr. Coward. I said, oh, very well, we needn't quarrel about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a wonderful way of putting it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I, my favourite Noah Coward thing is that there was a, an actress went to lunch with him and, 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 and she was so in awe of him. And, and at the end of lunch, she went, my dear, you haven't complimented me a single time in this entire luncheon. And, and she was like, oh, Mr. Coward, I thought you would know how you know, I am of you, and it's just an, such an honour to work with you, and I just thought you would realise that. And he went, my dear, everybody needs jam. Oh, that's <laughs> so right. Isn't right? that good? I wanted to ask you, you mentioned going to university. Did you go to university with the intention to be a performer, or, or was it just one of those things? I was infinitely more sad and pompous and peculiar, really. I, I mean, partly because I'd had such a... An active childhood had been in prison, and uh, right. I was actually on probation by the time I arrived at university. And yeah. um, I didn't tell the university, but then, to be fair, they didn't ask. Um, it's not a well, normal question yeah. that a Cambridge don says. So before we let you in, are you, have you been in prison? Are you on probation? I told them um, that after my first year, when my probation ended, I said to, to, to one of my tutors, I said, um, I, I, I'm going to tell you, Dr. Holland, I said, my, uh, my probation is over. He said, what? Said, no, you're, you're a scholar, aren't you? You're not here on probation. I said, no, I'm literally on probation. And I told him, and he went, good God. He was very, very astonished. Wow. But um, because of that, I came with a view to... I thought I'd sown my wild oats. You know, was it Churchill who said, the young men sow, the, sow wild oats and old men grow sage? And I thought I would grow tweed in a corner of a college somewhere and teach. I mean, Shakespeare was my absolute passion. Really, more as a, 
uh, from an academic point of view, I, I loved reading about Shakespeare, I loved writing about Shakespeare. Even people who adored English literature as a subject hated writing about Shakespeare because it's very difficult. Sometimes, but I found a way in, or at least what I thought was a wonderful way of writing about Shakespeare, and I enjoyed it, and I read all the plays and read them again and wrote notes on them and was absolutely obsessed. And um, it was really in my second term, uh, Emma Thompson, I mentioned it before, but she, uh, she suggested I audition for something. And I said, oh, but it's full of people who are going to be actors, professional actors and so on, you know, there was those sort of people. And, yes. And uh, she said, no, no, and, and so I did. And, and I loved it. I enjoyed it so much. Yeah. I was in like, eight plays in that term. Cool. Yeah. 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 In one day, and they're very short terms, really. Lunchtime terms, uh, lunchtime plays, oh, evening oh, plays, oh, late night plays. Right, so right. you could do three a week, you know, but it, I didn't do all that. Was, I was just rushing from rehearsal to rehearsal, and, wow. and, and such is the weirdness of, uh, of Oxbridge that you don't really get tested properly. So you don't have to go to lectures, you don't have to do essays. You don't. Well, you sort of do. But if you're reading English, you don't. If you're doing law or science or something sort of which involves learning and, you know, achieving Proving certain levels that, yeah. of. Uh, of attainment, but your Don would say something like, I think we need, don't you owe me an essay on Milton or something? And you go, well, yes, but I am Dr. Holloway. I've, uh, I've been doing this play and I, I, I find that that's really, you know, I've been thinking about, oh, very well, you know, sort of thing. As long wow. as they think you're going to pass the exam, they don't bully you very much. At least that was the way then. Right, right. To be honest, it was changing even as, uh, even as I was there because Thatcher had just come to power and there was this idea that education per se was not really interesting. It should all be about training and vocation. And, yeah, mm. If the state was going to pay people's education, then they should jolly well pay them back by having useful jobs that service right, the right, right. economy and so on. And, uh, just going back a bit, so when you mm. were in your kind of um, bad boy yeah. phase, you still must have been doing well at school to get all your exams <laughs> to go to Cambridge. Well, I, I was thrown out of a lot of schools. And what happened was that when I... I mean, the way I tell it in, in a very dramatic fashion is that there I am lying on the stone flags of the prison with the with the shadows of the bars thrust athwart my back. And a man with a trenching going yeah. in there. <laughs> yeah, and a rat in the straw somewhere. <laughs> um, and then sobbing and shaking my fist at the moonlight through the bars and saying, yeah. I will recover from this, I will repent and I will become... But I did, I said, I mean, partly the experience of quite a few illiterate people in the, in the prison I was in, um, and I was starting to taught them, taught them to read or, or help them with alphabet and things like that, and I thought... Crazy! This is um, what I love most passionately: is reading and writing and talking and thinking and so on. And uh, and I've, before it's too late, I could do something about it. So I, so I I signed myself up to a college, and they didn't do the Oxbridge entrance, which you had to do in those days. So I took out past papers from the library and, and sort of taught myself how the things went, and was fortunately got in. And um, so it was a skill. So you did your exams at, in prison. Sorry. No, no, this was after I was in prison. Oh, after you were in prison. Yeah, as soon as I got out, yeah, I got out. I was in prison on remand for about three months because <laughs> the paperwork for all my crimes took uh, was over <laughs> seven or eight different counties and oh had, to be, had to be collated by the... <laughs> were, you, were, you, were you like a... When you say bad... I can't remember I what your word actually, was. Mm, but was it boy. like... Well, were you off the rails or were you... Yeah. you I mean, yes. Uh, it, it wasn't drugs. That wasn't really my generation's thing much in those days. A few, a few boys smoked pot and got expelled from school. But <clears throat> it was uh, every single kleptomaniac. I'd mm. steal from shops and, and all the time. It was just awful. 
Um, and I didn't pay attention. I, I, I had, I'm sure I would have been uh, diagnosed with attention deficit disorder, uh, hyperactivity disorder, you know, if, if, if that had been a thing uh, mm. in those days. I mean, we're talking about the early 70s. And it, oddly enough, at one point my parents did send me to a psychiatrist, typical of my class and background, this was deeply embarrassing to admit, but uh, he was a Tory MP. Uh, he, he was a psychiatrist? The, the psychiatrist, he was oh a doctor, God. yes, a very grand Harley Street doctor. Uh, and he still practised? And he still practised, yeah. He was one of those, with a, with, a, with a Mont Blanc pen about the size of a you know, tree trunk, you know, <laughs> great sort of blue-black ink writing things down. Like a real Monet on the wall. <clears throat> <laughs> when I did a documentary about uh, about bipolar disorder, about oh, manic depression, well, I loved you. that. Stephen. I went back to school and I spoke to my old housemaster, and and, uh, and he had a copy of a letter that uh, Vaughan had written to him, in which he had used the word bipolar, which was a very early use of it. It was, you know, it was just about you. Yes, about me. And he had a question mark. Question mark. Wow. Uh, uh, and it was very interesting that he should have thought that. I was right. certainly manic. I was a very hyperactive mm. child, uh, and and I just couldn't. I was very quick. I mean, I won't say intelligent, but I was sharp. I could learn things without having to learn them. Mm. I mean, they just went in, and I never forgot them. Is bipolar the same as manic depression? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's because it's, it's interesting that he used that word so long ago when the. The parlance exactly. would have been much more manic depression. Indeed, it was. But I guess he was. A, I mean, uh, he, he was, a, you know, professional psychiatrist. Right. It was being used then. How interesting! In the well-known DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is an American book, quite fascinating. Someone should do a program about it. Really, it, it lists all the um, mental uh, syndromes and, and disorders and illnesses that that you might have. But it's updated every few years. So right up through the 60s, homosexuality was uh, a, a disease one of those things, in the yeah. DSM. Yeah. And the DSM was important because it was considered the, the Bible, the authority on mental illness in terms of things like insurance and law. Mm -hmm. So if someone said, oh, uh, I, didn't, I committed a crime because I have this you know, condition, the, you know, the, the, the district attorney, because it's an American thing, though it's used in Britain as well, would say uh, no, because in the DSM it says you are da 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 and you do not, you know, so, and similarly an insurance company won't pay out if they don't think it. But it's, really? you know, at the moment there, I think they're redrawing the idea of the spectrum, which seems to us such a useful one in terms of, you know, neurotypical at one end and highly autistic at another, you know, we think of as a, but apparently they're changing that. And these really? things are being changed all the time. And the nature of bipolar one or bipolar two, which some people think is um, kind of <coughs> what is too the airy to me. What is the difference between the two? Well, it's confusing because you'd, one is more serious and yet two has aspects that are more serious as well. And I was upgraded, if that's the word, to Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so thrilled. Um, and I, to be honest, I can't, I can't even remember the reason. I think it was because my hyperactivity. So I just occasionally, I had a few episodes not that long ago where I genuinely thought, no, Stephen, you really are, this is kind of the, the kind of mad people laugh at. I, I felt like Joan of Arc. You know, I felt yeah. transcendent. I, I felt I could do anything, yeah. and I was, and I, it was, I remember it came on me. It's a weird thing. It, sometimes they, these states happen quickly. It came on me. This is such a bizarre actorly occasion for it to happen at Richard Bryer's memorial. <laughs> I knew you'd laugh. As you're shuffling to the front. I got this. 
And there was a kind of event afterwards at the Criterion Theatre down, down, down there in that theatre, which is one of the wonderful theatres that's actually below ground and you go down to it, right down. And, and uh, I remember suddenly there was, I can't remember, it was Frank Finley on one side, various actors with Margot, what's it, not Margot, um, the one who played Margot in The Good Life, you know. Oh, well, uh, 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 Penelope Keith. Keith. Yeah, was, was talking and I was suddenly going, oh, <laughs> wow. I can't sit here, I've got to do something. And I, I went, and one of the things I do is cook. So I, I made, I remember this enormous plate of food, which was so, it was the kind of, this was the kind of thing people Instagram, because it was like uh, every little item of it was so perfectly placed. It was symmetrical. It was like a Buddhist prayer wheel or something. It was an extraordinary round plate. This, all, this was after I rushed away. Yeah, I rushed away from the, from the, because the I thought there was a so buffet table. Yeah. Uh, it's a strange thing. And most people who live with someone who's got bipolar disorder will say that, contrary to what you might expect, it's much easier to handle people who are depressed than people who are manic, people, yes. are, the, people are hyper, hyperactive or you know, hypoactive, whatever mm. it might be. And, and, uh, I remember when I made the documentary, I interviewed, uh, I don't think it actually made the final thing, but it was this uh, couple, and I was asking really exactly that, because so, the wife in this instance was the one who didn't have the, 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 the disorder. And uh, um, she described an occasion when her, her husband suddenly went into their garage, as she would put it, this is in America, and took apart their car. She, he put down a sheet, a huge sheet, and took apart the engine of the car and, and numbered it. And, and you know, every little washer he put went round with a sharpie and, and made a little number uh, so that he was going to clean it and chrome it up and make it perfect. And then halfway through, he had a sort of change of face and kicked it all to oh <laughs> The whole engine was just a total write-off. It could oh, never be put together again. And he laughed and she laughed, but actually at the time it must have been horrifying for them, can you imagine? And so the, the Richard Briars memorial, that was you, mm. that was like a, on, a, on a manic, what do you it, call them again? Yeah, it is, it's a hypomania uh, is what they call it now, yes, a manic episode. So, and then yeah. there's the crash that comes inevitably yes, after that. Yes, that's right, that. that's right. Uh, and, and sometimes there's a mixed state in between and sometimes you just plunge into, into a darkness. Because what I thought was really incredible about that documentary uh, was when you, and Carrie, who yes, Carrie Fisher, Fisher said as well, yeah. and that I thought was incredible is that you wouldn't you wouldn't for a second uh, not wish to have it. No, I asked every single person I interviewed. I said, oh, "There's you know there's a button there on the table." I would say, Do you, "If you press it, all your lows will be taken. You won't have a depressive episode again, but nor will you have an elevated state again. You'll be in in a normal medium state." Would you press the button? One woman did say she would, and she I mean she had tried to get herself by an electric drill into her brain. I mean, she was so, so ill, poor thing. She was so unhappy, and it was, a, it was a, the, mo the darkest oh, case I've ever seen. And there was a man who really was interesting. I think his name was Rod Harvey. I, I don't want to get that wrong, but he, he had been a commander in the Royal Navy, and he worked on the Britannia, when the, the, the Royal Yacht, mm. uh, when, when the Royal Family had it. And uh, then suddenly he started having these episodes, and he had to be retired from the Navy. And, and then he was uh, sectioned, and he was in a hospital in Plymouth, I think it was. And at one point he ran out into the road in front of a lorry in order to kill it, be killed. And it, it didn't work, and, and his legs were smashed to pieces. And oh. over the years, they were slowly put together again with pins and screws and endless. And he pulled up his trouser legs and showed these unbelievable wounds and scars and so on. And, his, and you know, he 
apologised again to the lorry driver for having done that to him. How could he said? But what I want mm. your what I want your viewers to know is is that the pain in my legs that lasted four years, the agony of them being rebroken and rebroken and rebroken again, was nothing compared to the pain that made me run in front of that body. That's right. what you have to understand. Right. It's not just feeling right. bad mm. times a bit. It's pain inside, mm. real pain, but it's not a pain that you can localize like a sharp yeah. headache or a, or, a, or a toothache or whatever. It's, it's, and it's quite hard for people, obviously, um, and, yeah, <coughs> to comprehend. But where, where are you now with all of you? Do you have to constantly get your meds changed? I'm, and I'm very fortunate. Seven? At the moment I'm off meds. Oh, and um, I, I think, I, I, I always hesitate, and for a minute I'm not going to suggest that any of this is... Uh, a recipe for anybody else. It seems to work for me, and you know, if anyone else has a problem, they, they're welcome to try what I do. But uh, I, I make no guarantees, and they should certainly see their doctor. And you know, they should see a GP, and they should you know try and push to see a specialist if they can, given the pressed state of the health service and so on. But diet and exercise. I know it sounds crazy, particularly open air exercise, particularly walks. I walk eight miles every morning. I, I, I walk. I live in pretty central London when I'm in when I'm here in London where we're talking and I just feel so much better as a result of that. Do you think there's and I go to the gym three times a week. Sorry. No, but sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. But no. Do you think that there's a link between we are moving away from things that are pretty basic human stuff, like walking? You're supposed to walk mm. all the time. Yeah. You're supposed to see people face-to-face -face all the time. Mm. The more we come away from that, the more... Yeah. Troubles we're having with mental health yes. and things. Or is that? But I, that could. I be. think so. And, and um, I've always had a bit of a um, hatred of my own body. We say, I mean, you know, I can't I dancing and sport at school. Yes, and all that. Sort of, I just, you know. So I just thought I'm. I'm only a mind, and this thing that I have to carry around with me, that my uh, is is an excrescence, and I'll just quieten it down by feeding it alcohol and food and mm. and so on. But. I found that it's possible to delight in movement, in, mm. in, in just moving, in just being oh, a, just walking around, the walking through the air oh, and, yeah. and so on. It's uh, that's nice. simple, but... Yeah. And what did you do, change, how did you change your diet? Um, really eating less. <laughs> I tried, I have tried in my life almost every diet that exists from uh, you know, the Atkins and keto style to potato diets and cabbage soup diets and goodness oh, no, knows yeah. what else, fibre diets and so on. But in the end, it's just about the amount you eat. See, your hair is really, really great right now. It really ah, is. I can, um, I can beat my drum here. I don't think I've come out about this, have I? But about, oh, it's been, it's been about seven or eight years now. I don't use shampoo. No way. I just just stand under a shower, water. Me too. Um, me too. Uh, yeah, you've got very short hair, and well, it's right now, very easy. Here, yeah, even when it grows out, it's lovely. Goes, yes. And actually, that's that the best oils. way. Yeah. I mean, you think about it. All you people do who use shampoo and conditioner yeah. is they strip yes. all the oils out with, make it ridiculously fly away with shampoo. And then so you've got then to, put to add stuff a cream. In it. Absolutely. When you you know your hair will get natural. It's so nice, and actually, just yeah. the kind of the tones of the of the grey. Thank you. And skin is a similar thing, actually. <laughs> you know, this obsession with the, uh, um, you know, the, the microbiome, the, the gut, and the flora in the gut, and everything, and the biota. There's also the skin biome as well. And uh, uh, I've never been a great one for any kind of chemicals on me. Uh, in me, <laughs> in my time, yes, but not on me. <laughs> and so you know, skins, you know, skin creams and. Mm -hmm. The grooming or you know, even aftershave or perfume of any kind, I've never, never been one for. And, uh, um, and I think it does make your skin very good, but, but soap, obviously, occasionally. And 
Castile soap. What's that? It, it's, it's a much more natural, yeah. simple soap. It doesn't lather quite as much, too. In that sense, it's probably better for the sewers and everything because it doesn't make this thick. But it lathers enough. And you can buy Castile soaps as, uh, as, as body wash. And squirty stuff. Yeah, that's They always right. have it at my yoga place. Oh, do they? Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I think you're it's kind of it's a little, uh, a little uh, fiery on the pubes. It can be. Yeah, really? some downstairs. It'll be cante on the lower. <laughs> well, I'm regions. glad you won't. Well, it, depends, well, it depends where how. Uh, if it's pure, it shouldn't be at all. But so, so it's, it's it might a, be flavoured. It's a plastic. It's yes, in the, you know, they the might be almond and um, maybe, you know, yeah, blueberry or something. Stuff, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't need to be anything. I mean, it can yeah, be yeah. just pure. I mean, I'm not absolutely you know, spicy blueberry mind. soap. Okay, yeah. well, that's <laughs> the main takeout. <laughs> <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, Stephen. More than a pleasure. Well, what an interview, Alan. Wasn't that just uh, utterly such a darling? Stunning, no? such a total darling. And don't you love that he said he said afterwards how much he loves this podcast. Yeah, and he wasn't um, lying. Oh, I think he was probably lying. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, listen, we want to hear your feedback, listeners, on what you think of that interview, because Homo sapiens is nothing without our listeners. That's right. Isn't that correct? And also what you think of my um, breaking my duck. Thank is you, Lala, for that little <laughs> tambourine of uh, encouragement. Lala's breaking my duck of um, podcastery. How's it been, your first episode? Pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I've, I've enjoyed it. There is a feedback form which we give to um, all <laughs> all members of the team if you want to fill it out afterwards. We can send it to HR. Yes, yeah, send it to HR. HR department is me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it might be a little, little biased. What am I going to complain about you? Uh <laughs> Put it on the form, and we can <laughs> we can talk it out on the we can talk anonymous it out in the agony uncle. Okay. <laughs> we've had a complaint from anonymous, although we did only hand out one form to Alan. <laughs> and and people, it, look, it's lovely that you all write in in between seasons. So we love hearing from you. But you also always write in and say, where can we get t-shirts and sweatshirts which alan is now a proud owner of i have one of each yes i'm very delighted i gave him one of each you watch out walking down the street wearing them people will try and get that off your back and but they can you get them well (laughs) in the usual fighting about this yeah yeah in the usual homo sapiens way which is just so organized um there will be more news in homo sapiens extra which will be coming up in between this and so wait we're like we're teasing the the t-shirts we can't you can't actually get them Right now. Exactly. I, can't you just say, go to the Instagram page and click on the link and they'll be there? But then I have to remember to put the Instagram, the link on Instagram. Is the, is the, on the Instagram page, does it not have the website on the like thing? we're having our first round. We're having a fight right now. <laughs> we need to get this together. Yeah, go on, go Don't on. you have on the, we know when it says click on link in bio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't you have the link of the website on, I bet you do. Well, let's have a look. Let me see. Oh, this would be so good if I win my first battle. Oh, I can tell you why, because the link is to the link to listen to Homo sapiens. So we can't change that. Otherwise, we'll lose listeners. Nobody will listen. I suppose listening's more important than... Oh, I see. Tiny CC. Oh, well, never mind. Well, look, one day you'll be able to buy a (laughs) T-shirt. If you want a T-shirt or a sweater, there is news coming soon, people. So listen to Homo Sapiens Extra, which will be coming up in a few days, and we will be revealing loads more interesting information about where you can get them. merch. Oh, merch and all sorts, right? So you can subscribe to um, Homo Sapiens so that you don't have to go and find us. It'll just come into your podcast portal. 
Absolutely, because then you get all your episodes for free as and when as and when they come out.、Mm-hmm. And if you want to get in touch, if you want to send us any kind of correspondence, please write to us on hello at homosapienspodcast dot com. Well, exactly, and we'll be sure to get right back to you <laughs> within four to six months. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for listening, and Alan, what a lovely, lovely pleasure it's been having、it's、your first episode. It's been so、episode. nice. I think I'll do. Another one? Do you think? Okay,、yeah. good. We need to talk to your agent about that because <laughs> he ain't cheap. My fee goes up. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five day returns. Powered by Spirit Studios.